What I'm gonna be sharing with you today is a message titled, Honoring the Lord. Now, we only honor that which is worthy to be honored in our lives in general. And let me tell you, there's no one more worthy of honor than the Lord our God. There is no one like him. There's never been anyone like him, and there never will be anyone like him. He is who he is. He is the great I am. And there are so many reasons why we should honor him and why he is worthy. It would be a series of sermons to even begin to scratch the tip of the iceberg because every single page in this book is a declaration of the worthiness of our God to be honored in every way in our lives. But as an introduction, I've just got a couple of things I wanna focus on as we move into the rest of the message that I have to share. But the first point I'd like to, well, not my first first point, but just what I'd like to share in terms of my introduction is that he is worthy because of his power, because he is the ultimate creator of everything that exists, and he upholds creation by the power of his will. This is found in Revelations 4 verse 11, which says, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. We have a declaration that everything that exists is because of God's act of creation, but he didn't just leave it there. He continues to uphold creation. He holds it together. He holds us together by the power of his will. That's in his heart for us. He didn't just create and then leave. It's like he's with us. As the Holy Spirit hovered over the chaos of creation, he hovers over our lives continuously, upholding us. Now we could give him honor, and he is worthy for creation alone, for his power. But it's not just his power, it's his character and his nature. This almighty God who created everything is the most beautiful and incredible person in his heart and in who he is, in his character and his nature. You know, when the Lord says something about himself, that's when you pick your ears up and you listen very carefully. And the Lord made a declaration about himself, about his character to Moses. When Moses asked that the Lord would reveal his glory to him, the Lord puts Moses in the cleft of the rock and he passes by in front of Moses. And the Lord makes this declaration about himself in Ezekiel 34, verse 67a. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Isn't it amazing how this almighty creator with power beyond human imagination is at the very same time this incredible person who's abounding in goodness and truth, merciful and gracious, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. The same person, it's beyond our ability to comprehend how wonderful the Lord is. Another couple of scriptures describing God's character is found in Ezekiel 18 verse 23, where the Lord says, do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live. Turn from his ways and live. The Lord takes no delight in judgment. Anyone who says the Lord enjoys judging, 
is contradicted by the Lord's own words and mouth here in Ezekiel, where he proclaims about himself that he delights in mercy, oh, no, that he is the one that we should turn to and that we should not in any way walk in the ways of unrighteousness. He takes no pleasure in the judgment against anyone at any stage. That is part of his character and his nature. Micah 7 verse eight says, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He doesn't just like mercy, he delights in it. That means he's got a love for mercy. He enjoys being merciful. There is no pleasure in judgment in the Lord our God. That is his tender father heart for us, his church, his people, his children. Amen. Amen. Now that alone is enough to qualify him as worthy. But not only did he present himself in his power in creation and in his nature, but he died for us through his son, Jesus Christ. In Philippians 2, we, it speaks of how Jesus being God takes on the form of the frailty of human flesh and comes and lives amongst us, gives his life up, even a cruel death upon the cross. He's raised from the dead and is given the name above all names, exalted forever by the Father. And that is also an expression of our God. He is wonderful, he is amazing, he's incredible. There is no words left in our languages across the world to describe his worthiness. And he is worthy, and therefore, he is worthy to be honored. And what I'd like to share with you today is three points. There are so many, but once again, these three I've just drawn out to share with you. I trust it will be a blessing to you. The first point is honor him and seek his kingdom first. Honor him, seek him and his kingdom first. The greatest commandment given to us in the Bible is very specific. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he responded with this out of Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's not negotiable. What the Lord gave us in that, it's, it's what you would call set in stone. It is what it is. Jesus has proclaimed this is the first and greatest commandment with the second. But thereafter we wonder, well, what is the third? What is the fourth? That is never specified in the Bible. And the Lord, in his wisdom, didn't put it down like that. But I do wanna to put to you that in God's economy, in his progression of priority of what is truly important to him, soon after those two first, or the first and the second commandment, is that we would seek his kingdom first. And this is found in Matthew 6, verse 33, where it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now what are those things? Those are the necessities of life, clothing, food, shelter, the things we need to live, not necessarily luxuries. We're talking about what we need. But the way that this scripture puts it forth is first we seek his kingdom, and then we are provided for in the midst of our needs. 
the Lord's Prayer brings an amazing confirmation to the scripture. They complement each other. Where Jesus was asked by his disciples, teach us to pray, the prayer that is taught, we know as the Lord's Prayer. And I wanna go through the first couple of lines of the Lord's Prayer, which is found in Matthew 6, 9 to 11. I wanna go through the first couple of lines of the Lord's Prayer and show you the similarities between the initial part of the Lord's Prayer and Matthew 6, verse 33, about seeking the kingdom first, and then everything is added to our lives. So beginning in verse nine, Jesus is teaching, and he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now there we're gonna stop. Hallowed, what is hallowed? Exactly what we are talking about today. Honor, reverence, respect, giving that to the Lord, and that's how Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name, honor to you, Father. Your kingdom come, in verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What did we just read in Matthew 6.33? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Here we have it again in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then, in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread, which is seek first the kingdom and all these things, our daily bread will be added to us. Now, it would sound so wrong, it would sound out of sync if we were to pray the Lord's Prayer like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give us this day your daily bread. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It sounds wrong. I'm sure your spirit's just been inside of you. You just feel this, no, 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 that is not right. And we know it's not right. It is wonderful to pray the Lord's Prayer the way he gave us, gave it to us. It is wonderful to live seeking the kingdom first and then seeing the provision of the things added to our life. That is God's economy. The problem comes where sometimes people do seek the things first, or they might start out seeking the kingdom and the things distract them. And there's a consequence for that kind of lifestyle. We find an indication of this in the parable of the sower, which is found in all three gospels. But there's a little snippet in the Gospel of Mark, the smallest of the Gospels, has an addition, because all the other, the other two Gospels in the Luke and Matthew version, it only mentions two, but two things that cause a barrenness concerning the word in our lives. But in the Gospel of Mark, we have a little addition. Let me read it to you, and I'm sure you'll pick up what I'm homing in on. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, the things that we should not be seeking first. And when we focus our attention on the things, the word, our purpose, our honoring of the Lord starts to become choked, starts to become unfruitful. Amen. Amen. I wanna share with you a little bit around King Josiah. King Josiah was the most righteous King Judah ever had. He was the 16th king in the line of David. He was eight years old when he came to the throne. And from the beginning of his reign, he loved the Lord. He clung to the Lord. He served the Lord like no other king before him or after him. At age 18, 
he begins reconstruction on the temple. He's moved to restore the house of the Lord. It had fallen into disrepair of the unrighteous kings before him. And in the work of the temple, during this work, the book of the law is found, essentially part of the Old Testament, the books of Moses. And this is brought to Josiah, and it's read to Josiah by Hilkiah the high priest. And when Josiah hears the word of the Lord, he tears his robes, he puts ashes on his head, he, 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 he repents before the Lord immediately. And a word comes by the prophet saying that because you humbled yourself, judgments will not take place in your time, but it was inevitable that judgments would come upon the land. There was just too much sin that had been committed in the land of Judah and Israel before that, that God's judgment was sure, but it wouldn't come in Josiah's lifetime. But here's an incredible principle that we see in Josiah's life. When you honor God and seek his kingdom first, like Josiah restoring the temple, the Lord's word becomes instantly precious to you when you hear it or read it, instantly precious. What happened? Josiah heard the word and his heart was rent at the hearing of the word. And he immediately repented. In fact, he moved into the greatest Passover that Israel had had or Judah had had since the time of the judges. There wasn't another king that had a Passover as great as Josiah's Passover, giving livestock to the people for sacrifices. Because when he prioritized the Lord's kingdom first, his house, the Lord's word was instantly precious to him. And that also shows where you stand. Because if the Lord's word has become dull to you, then it's time to seek him, and it's time to honor him, and it's time to trust him, to show you once again what is the most important the most important thing in your life, which is to love him, your neighbor is yourself, and then to prioritize his kingdom in your heart. In the book of Haggai, we have another story of restoration of the temple. This is after the temple was destroyed. The exiles had returned to the land. And they were busy with the temple, but they were more busy building their own houses. And the Lord brings correction, and he says, it is not right that you would build your own houses first, but leave my house in ruins. And there was a famine upon the land because they were not prioritizing the Lord's house as their first and foremost building project. And that should be the first and foremost building project in our lives, to honor him by seeking his kingdom first. And out of that is the, pro the provision of the other things that we need to live and survive and grow and prosper. Amen. Amen. Remember, the Lord delights in mercy. He delights in mercy. Call upon him because he delights in mercy. Now, the second point I wanna share with you, and you're welcome at this stage to turn to 1 Peter 3 and just keep your finger in place. We'll get there. You might get a cramp, but you'll be all right. All right. Honor him in your testimony. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a continuous testimony while we are on this earth. From the time we give our lives to the Lord, our testimony is in force, and our testimony is made up of two distinct parts. One is the words that we speak, the other is the actions by which we live, our conduct. Now, they're both halves of the same whole, and both are just as important, and just as important to keep pure and to keep holy before the Lord, in line with Him and His ways. 
We, as Christians, are under constant scrutiny. We're under the constant gaze of the world, of those who are not saved. Whether it be family, friends, colleagues, I guarantee once you give your life to the Lord, you're under the microscope. People are watching you. And we don't want to, in our own lives, dishonor the Lord by not having our testimony pure before Him. Not just because it is our reasonable act of worship and service to him, having been bought by his blood, his precious blood, beyond price. But we, unfortunately, can become a stumbling block to those who do not yet believe in the Lord. That when they look at us, and they see us living in a way we shouldn't, or speaking things we shouldn't, it becomes an opportunity for them to discard the gospel and to not listen to the truth of it because we have actually become a stumbling block to them by not living our life in Christian testimony as we should. And that is something we have to be aware of. Nobody's perfect, we are gonna make mistakes. This is the reality of the human condition, this side of eternity. But step up quickly, set your gaze like flint upon him to walk in his ways, to honor him, and to keep your testimony pure before him. Now I'm about to give your finger relief, and I hear your sigh of relief. 1 Peter 3, verse 15 to 16. We'll read it together. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts once again. I'm gonna stop there. What does sanctify the Lord God mean? Honor him. Just like the Lord's prayer, hallowed be your name. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. We honor you, Lord. We honor you. We set you apart for honor and reverence. It goes on to say, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And here we see the verbal aspect of our testimony. It's to give a defense to the asked question of the hope that we have inside of us and that we're ready to give a response and an answer for that. Then verse 16 having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. And there we have the action, the lived out portion of our testimony. We have honor the Lord in your words and in your life in these two scriptures out of one Peter. Honor the Lord in your testimony. Keep it pure, keep it holy and stay in the momentum of bringing honor to his name through a worthy testimony. Amen. Amen. I wanna move on now to my final point. As I said before, I know that there are many, many more points, but I found this one particularly meaningful to me, and I pray it would be particularly meaningful to you. There's a lot of hope in this point I'm just about to share with you. And it is honor him in the secret place. Please turn to Psalm 51. We'll be reading a few scriptures out of Psalm 51. And I want us to enjoy it together. I'll give you a moment. I gave myself a traditional christening this morning with this bottle in the first service. I squeezed it and I was just grateful my beard was quite thick so that I didn't have to sit there rubbing myself. But you were saved from the experience. Bless you. 
Psalm 51 verse six in the Amplified says, behold, you desire truth in the innermost part and in the hidden part of my heart, you will make me to know wisdom. There is an immense revelation in this. David recognizes that God himself wants truth in our innermost part. He wants us to have wisdom in our innermost part. The innermost secret place of our life, the Lord wants us to have truth and wisdom. But we too must also desire that. It must also be a desire of our hearts. It's not enough if God wants that for us. We too have to come alongside his will and we have to want that for our own life as well. That there would be purity and truth and wisdom in the depth of the core of who we are. Psalm 51 was written by David after his moral failure with Bathsheba. Where as a young man, as a youth, he slew a giant. And as a king, as a 50-year-old king, he was defeated by a maiden on a roof. He was so strong in his battle against Goliath. It was like a hot knife through butter. There was no fear or intimidation that could hold him back. But when it came to Bathsheba, it was like the perfect storm of temptation. And it was his choice, but he gave into that choice and he had a moral failure with her. And where Psalm 51 is born out of is out of the experience of Nathan the prophet coming to him and rebuking him for his actions. And he immediately repents and soon after writes Psalm 51. It is the, the psalm of repentance in the Bible. It is a beautiful piece of literature. One of the first things David does is he takes responsibility for his actions before the Lord. It says here in Psalm 51, verse two to three, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He says, Lord, I recognize I messed up. There's sin in my heart, but I ask you to cleanse me. I ask you to wash me. I ask you to, to make me new as clean as snow. He reaches out to the Lord and he asks for God's forgiveness and cleansing, but he takes responsibility for his actions. He doesn't hide his face from what he did. So that is the first step, but he doesn't leave it there. He moves on and he says in Psalm 51 verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He asked God to reform him on the inside, that he would be changed. You see, if we don't ask that aspect of the prayer, we just ask for forgiveness, we might come into a pattern of repetition leading to addiction. Even as John was speaking this morning, by revelation, it's wonderful how what he shared and what the Lord laid on my heart to share with you have such a close relationship, is that we stand in the path of possible addiction if we don't ask God to correct that which allowed the sin in the first place. And that's what David was praying here. He said, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. If I can give you perhaps a, an example, imagine a desert, but in the desert there's a, a valley. It's dry because there's no river running. But if there's rain, what happens every time there's a lot of rain? is you have a flash flood. Because the water 
follows the easiest path, which is this dry valley, and then this rush of water comes. And that is sometimes what happens in our own lives. When things are fine, we're fine. But when challenge comes, when trauma comes, when temptation comes, it's like it rains upon our life. And this dry valley, which is hidden from our eyes in the good times, all of a sudden wipes us out, just like it happened with David and Bathsheba on that roof, where he saw her for the first time. He started down a path, and he was swept up by this flood resulting in something that I believe he regretted for the rest of his life, and he was forgiven of it, but there were consequences. And so David prays, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And we do the same, we pray, Lord, I messed up here, and you delight in mercy, you're wonderful. I acknowledge it, forgive me, cleanse me, but change me. Fill in my valley that the next time it rains, I'm not gonna be swept away by the flood. I'm gonna be able to stand because you are able to make me stand. At one point in the book of John, it was just before Jesus' crucifixion. He makes the statement to his disciples. He says, the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. There was no hook. There was nothing that the devil could hold on to as a point of temptation to bring him into a situation where he might not have been able to stand. And we can pray for the Lord to do that in our own hearts and lives. And that brings me to my next scripture, also written by David. In Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24 in the Amplified, we read, search me thoroughly, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked or hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Now what that is saying is, Lord, please search me because I don't know what I don't know. There's a profound statement for you. I don't know what I don't know. We gaze through a mirror darkly in this life. We don't have the full revelation of what's in us, but he does. And so he comes alongside us. He's got the blueprints for our lives. You know, if something like an appliance breaks, we send it into the manufacturer because the manufacturer's got the know-how, they created it, they got the blueprints, they got the expertise to fix that appliance. If we tinker with it ourselves, we tend to come up a bit short, unless we've really got the know-how. But you send it into the manufacturer, it comes back with a guarantee. Who's got the guarantee on your life? Who's got the blueprints to your heart and to all that you are? The Lord God Almighty, your creator. So we send ourselves into him in prayer and we say, Lord, please heal me, forgive me, cleanse me. However, there's an even better way is to begin a lifestyle of prayer, of proactively, of your own action, praying for Christ to be formed in you that you would, um, that you would put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And these two scriptures are found in Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Galatians 4, verse 19 says, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. And here we get this wonderful principle that we can proactively pray on an ongoing basis, Lord, change me to look like you, to think like you, to walk like you, to be like you. I wanna put on Christ today. I wanna be changed into your image today. 
But you're praying this while there's no rain. You're praying this while there's no challenge. You can certainly pray it in the midst of the challenge. There's never not a good time to pray this prayer. But you wanna move from a lifestyle of reactive prayer, of only really digging into prayer and searching the Lord for answer and breakthrough when you're in trouble or crisis or challenge, to a proactive asking to put on Christ, to be conformed to his image, regardless of the season you're in. And guess what happens? When the tough times come, you overcome. You don't just defeat the Goliaths in your life. You walk past the Bathshebas and they do not have the power to take you out because by your proactive prayer life, you are entering far deeper into the life of God than just a reactionary prayer life of praying when times are tough. And you become the kind of ambassador that brings glory to his name, that truly honors him. Amen. Amen. I just wanna read this portion to you. The safest protection from the unknown, both the unknown of what's to come from the outside as well as the unknown within our own hearts is to proactively pray for the Lord to conform us to the image of Christ, to pray to put on Christ daily. The Lord wants us to walk with him in a close way. And it is our duty and our honor to honor him in all of his ways. He is worthy by his power. He is worthy by his character, by dying for us. We are to seek his kingdom first. And therein we will find provision for our lives. We are to have a testimony where both parts of that testimony are brought together in a beautiful unity bringing honor to him. And finally, he wants honor in the secret place of our lives. And that it is up to us to not just be content to pray when things happen, but to reach into him, seeking him. It will protect us from the unknowns of what's to come in a magnificent way. I wanna pray with you now and trust that the Lord will seal these things in our hearts, that he would be glorified in our lives, that he would lead us in the everlasting path which is the narrow path of life. Let's pray. Father, I lift up your people to you. And Lord, I know that we honor you in our words. We should honor you in our words. And then Lord, we wanna honor you in our praise and our worship and our thanksgiving and our tithes and our offerings. But Lord, that is not gonna bring honor to you if we are coming from a place of brokenness, if we're coming from a place where we are yet to see a freedom come into our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move upon your people today, that where conviction is necessary, it would come. Where healing is necessary, it would come. Lord, you were bruised for our iniquities. That's internal bleeding for internal healing. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring your power upon us in this time and in this moment, that we could be set free to walk in your ways, to honor you at all times, because you are worthy, Lord. We love you and we trust you and we pray that you would be with us as we go into the week ahead, Lord. And even as I bring the service to a close, even as I draw to a close in this prayer, I pray that today would be a meeting between you and your people. I pray for a personal interaction from your spirit for each person under the sound of my voice, Lord, that today would be the most wonderful encounter with the living God, an encounter of love, hope, upliftment, that you would strengthen your people for the path ahead. He who holds the blueprints to our lives is our loving Savior who will never leave us nor forsake us. And I pray this, Lord, as I close. May we never leave you nor forsake you in Jesus' name.
Amen.